When it comes to reassuring a traumatized 19-year-old, I'm about as expert as a palsy victim doing brain surgery with a pipe wrench. Oh my, that's aggressive. Um, hmm, I think I've heard that before. I feel like you have. <sighs> I'm pretty sure it is a movie you have seen. What movie be throwing out Paul, cerebral palsy references? Hint, can I have a hint? Um, it is a very, very stylized movie with a humongous ensemble cast from the mid-2000s. Huh. So it's, well, let's see, Snatch came out in, like, 99. Um, stylized movie... It's an American movie? It is an American movie. Dang it. Um, Joey? I can't give you the director or it'll give it away. Well, at this point, I don't know nothing, so... <laughs> um, It's Robert Rodriguez directed it. Okay, okay. Um, With a guest scene by his boy and our fave, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, is this from Sin City? It is from Sin City. Okay, okay, okay. And that's why it sounds somewhat familiar. We, we went down that road not too long ago. Welcome to the Average Joe's Movie Club Cast. This is Justin. And I'm Joey. And we are just one week away from Turkey Day, gobble gobble, and we got an all new podcast for you. We are entering the Joeyverse, which is a mini series I've created to pick movies that will warm my podcast partner Joey's um, cold dark heart. First of all, we'll get puzzled by why our guy Quentin Tarantino likes him some new wave uh, French cinema so much as we check out Jean-Luc Godard's Band of Outsiders from 1964. I think that movie came out. <clears throat> and we got a movie jo Joey has seen so many times that he didn't even feel the need to whip it out for this one um, to get brushed up on those old uh, boondock saints, somewhat defeating the purpose of the miniseries, but I digress. Inami patre et fili et spiritus Yeah, something like that. So, 
Um, <laughs> first of all, I was wondering if you were going to notice that, but two, I literally have already watched that movie twice this year. So it was just it was like, I, yeah, I just, I just was like, I've already watched it twice this year. If I'd only watched it like once, or had not watched, I would have 100% watched it. But I've already watched it twice this year. <laughs> and I I'm going to watch it fair. in like three or... I'm going to watch it in March. Like, because I watch it like every March. Oh, well, what, what's so special about March? St. Patrick's Wait, Day? We, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I've only seen it twice. Well, not three times now. Anywho. I've, I've seen it six or seven times since I've had Letterboxd. And God knows how many times I've seen it in between that. Because it was always that movie that was like, um, oh my God, you've never seen this? We, You know, a bunch of people would be hanging out, so somebody would show it, or we would show it. I, 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 I can't imagine if I had had Letterboxd since I was like 18, how many times this movie would, would be logged. It's ridiculous. And just heads up, we do discuss our full thoughts on films. So if you haven't seen it... Might want to skip forward to avoid any of those spoilers. And if you want to be a part of the club, make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment because we would love to hear from you. So what's new with you, Mr. Porter? Uh, what is new with me? Um, I don't really think there's anything new. Um, I'm like Jerry Garcia these days. No, like I just I right now with the like my monetary situation and everything, I just literally go to work and come home. Like I work forty mm. five ish hours, I come home. Um, I was hoping to pick some shit up out of the out of the Barnes and Noble sale, but I don't know if I'm gonna be able to. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Which one you looking at? Which one you looking at? Oh my god, my list is huge. Um in any Kurosawa that I don't have is always a priority. Um, the second Akura, or second Kurosawa Eclipse set, because I have the first one. Mm. If the Arrow sale was going on, I'd want the second Shaw Scope. Um, Show has been on my list for a hot minute. My own private Idaho. And there's some new, or it's newer to me, and I think it is newer to the list. Um, it's a Japanese movie. I think it's like Japanese New Wave or something, but it's like from the 60s, I think. But there's like pink all over the cover, and hmm. I cannot remember what it's called. I can find out probably pretty quickly by going to my list where I keep everything. Um, Let's see if I have updated my Criterion wish list. Gosh, I haven't done that in forever. My Criterion really collection. So I haven't had the desire to buy any physical media. Usually I just throw a couple on my Christmas list and call it a year. Fair. Um, of course, now I, I can't even find it. So it's it's fine. I don't remember what it is off the top. That sounds like Tokyo Drifter. but That might be the correct one. Judging by the, the, like that name sounds familiar. I can pull it up real quick here on the old internet. The old okay. box of letters. That's the only thing I can think of that's like Japanese New Wave. Uh, that cover is different than the one I'm used to seeing, but... Reading it seems about right, so I think that's correct. 
Okay. Um, yeah, that picture's different than the Criterion cover, but also Tokyo Drifter Criterion. That's no, that's not quite right. I'll figure it out and tell you off <laughs> off pod. It it's not that big a deal, but yeah, nothing nothing really new um, that I have going on. I live a sadly uneventful life. I watched a lot of horror movies during October, like after we did our Halloween special, and I'm going to talk about some of those in a bit, but... Uh, nice. That's Wish really about see it. More. Right on. Well, I've always been involved with like Cub Scouting since we've gotten started. Even Well, actually, we started the podcast right after I um, first uh, became a leader with my son's unit, but now I'm the head honcho. I'm the Cub Master. That means i got to take all these kids out camping couple times um this fall which got my third camp out coming up this weekend so been pretty exhausting it's a lot of a lot of work um i enjoy like working with the kids and like teaching them scout skills and stuff but like the whole business side is kicking my butt because there's a lot of drama and stuff so not enjoying that part but um yeah do it for a couple years and get a little patch for it and um yeah it's the cub master experience um Gains at the gym going a little better these days. So like, I got it. I got uh, instead of drinking coffee now, I get this stuff called pre-workout, which is like super coffee and it tastes like Kool-Aid kind of. <laughs> um, and I went to this this place called Lean Kitchen that was like next to a Little Caesars because we went to go grab a pizza right before the game the other day. And I was like, oh, so they sell pre-workout and they had this brand called Kickin and got that and it was this cherry limeade. I'm like, okay, this will be fine. Oh, this stuff tastes like ass. Like. You know those like ghost um, energy drinks that are sugar free. The ghost and... ones are terrible. I do. So ghost, I do know what you're talking about. And ghost has they're one of the three different orange cream flavors that ones that have mm-hmm. orange cream, and their mm-hmm. orange cream is fucking hot trash. Anyway, continue. <laughs> it just has that like artificial taste to it, and it's just like oh, it's just not for me. I either I I'd rather drink water or. You know, something sweet. I don't want something pretend sweet because, yeah, it just doesn't do it for me. Um, man, working all it's working for Sundays. I, um, I mean, the Vikings had a pretty lousy beginning uh, half, first half of the year, but uh, they picked up some momentum, momentum uh, getting uh, Josh Dobbs after Kirk Cousins tore his Achilles. Um, so yeah, it's been kind of and a fun ride. Running, five year, uh, five uh, games in a row now. And your new running back tore his Achilles. It's like at least the third Achilles tear this season in the NFL, at least. Yep, Cam Akers tore his too. So now we're going to see more Ty Chandler in addition to Alexander Madison. Our run games are pretty suspect, but Cam was um, had a really good game against the Niners. So sad to see that uh, he got hurt in the game. I think it was against the Falcons he got hurt. Um, but Ty Chandler's a pretty good back that they weren't given enough chances to, so... Hopefully he'll uh, he'll make a name for himself next. And uh, Gamecocks have been pretty lousy all season. So I mean, you guys. Isn't it funny have... that the the Clemson and Carolinas gonna be on the SEC Network this year? SEC Network at seven thirty. Um, um, I mean, it's wild to think like we're coming up on this game, and you know, for for Justin and I and other people who live in our state, this is a big. This this is the deal. This is equivalent to like Bedlam or the Civil War, the Red River shoot, <laughs> Red River Shootout, um, yeah. world's outdoor, world's largest outdoor cocktail party, that kind of stuff. Um, 
but you know we're we're sitting at six and four. You guys are four and six. Like you have to one out to be bowl eligible. Mm-hmm. And then there's still no game. I mean, six and six. There's like 41 bowl games. Like you could probably get in. Um, but you have you have to beat Kentucky. And Kentucky started out strong, but ever since Georgia beat the brakes off of them, they have sucked. Yeah. And um, is that who they play tomorrow or uh, this weekend? Yeah, Carolina plays Kentucky. And then Clemson we have, have anybody interesting? North Carolina. So we, I mean, we have a conference game, which we're out of the conference picture. But uh, Duke or North Carolina is a good team. Drake May is like a top-rated quarterback prospect. Um, beat the brakes off of us first game. Yeah. Um. So that that ought to be interesting. But we seem to uh, our quarterback Cade Klubnik seems to be finding his rhythm. You know, almost at the end of his first full year starting, seems to be working better with the OC. Um, so if we win that game, you know, and then we're seven and four going into the game in Williams Bryce, chance to go eight and four with a bold who didn't go nine and four would be a good strong finish to the season. Um, yeah, I would say that I game's kind of up in the air. I mean, either team might show up, so it should be interesting. Yeah, it, it, rivalry games never it, it it doesn't matter. Like you can have an eleven zero team and, a, and an zero and eleven team, and it just you, you never know what's going to happen in in rivalry games, but. Um, two, you know, big games for both teams. So I thought I did not think you guys were going to get escape the battle of the Gamecocks um, versus JSU. Um, <laughs> yeah, that I mean, was pretty the, crazy. They're, they're, they're I was on a hike team. and I kept looking down. I was just like, why are we losing to them? Because <laughs> I mean, they're a good team, so it wasn't right. anything crazy. Yeah, they were seven and two when they played you guys. So seven and three. Okay. Um, yeah, and then as far as pro football, like I mean, I've been. I've been on the Duval train this year, and man, they got their ass beat by San Francisco uh, last week. Just um, oh, the, um, Jackson, Jacksonville. Jack, yeah, Jacksonville, Duval, Clemson South, as it were. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they got they got Trevor and Travis. So, I mean, our they got wow. Oh, yeah. Sean yeah. Watson going out for the whole year. Dang. Well, I mean, he, he probably got his just he got his comeuppance a little bit. Mm. Um, <sighs> so, uh, meanwhile, we're, we're 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 talking about movies, and we could be watching Bengals Ravens right now. I mean, it's probably an actual good game Thursday Bengals, night game. And the Bengals need it. Um, I sent you. I found the movie. I actually logged into my Criterion channel wish list, and it's branded mm. to kill. Oh, okay, yeah, that's his other one. So nice. I oh, okay, you thought so, it looked somewhat familiar. Yeah, it's like yeah, a, yeah. two movies I think he did around the similar time. So, yeah. But. Seishuan Suzuki, I want to say. Anywho, so let's talk about movies with the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right. Um, got the good, the bad, and the... What the fuck's up with that name? You? I've, I've got Billy, mm-hmm. Stein, question mark, and scream to the future. All right. So what's uh, Stein? Okay, Stein, as in R.L. Stein. Is that you play it? Um. Uh-huh. So I watched the the Fear Street trilogy, which was mm-hmm. based off of some of his, or loosely based off of some of his other stuff. Okay. Um, but I watched that during during Spooktober twenty twenty three after the pod after our Halloween podcast. Mm-hmm. Um. I really enjoyed them, uh, and they're not. I'm not gonna like try to act like they're like award-winning masterpieces or anything like that. But they were a lot of fun, especially all 
stream together and going back in time the first one definitely uh let's admit it mind. joey if, if you're watching it it's not a masterpiece <laughs> i mean i've watched chinatown this year that's true but i made you so well you no 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 oh that was oh that was one flew of the cuckoo's nest i made you okay okay yeah okay. and i've watched that oh and i've watched witness for the prosecution oh I'm, I, I am very intrigued about that is that on is that am i gonna hear about that you, maybe, maybe, okay, maybe. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, when it comes to horror movies, unless it's Scream, I'm probably not watching a, a masterpiece. That's also not true. But, um, they, they they definitely had some Scream homage in the first one. Definitely some like old school original slashers in the second one. And the third one was like a you know time period colonial witch hunt kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of fun. They're on Netflix. Okay. It's a good, good little series at all kind of ties. Like ninety minutes a piece, or ninety, maybe a little more than ninety, but yeah. Okay. So, if you start with Fear Street ninety four and go backwards to Fear Street 1666. All right, give me the bad. All right, so. Right after the podcast, I think it was, I watched the uh, Jeepers Creepers. How about those peepers with Justin Long? Pretty good movie monster, but man, this movie, everyone has to be really, really dumb in order for it to happen. Because like, let's see, it's your, your typical like, oh, they're about to get run off the road by this crazy driver. And then they see him doing something crazy on the side of the street. And they're like, oh, we better go check it out. What, what if that was you? So... It's a lot of the, it's a lot of, you know, the horror tropes with got to go back and check in order for it to happen. But, um, eh, as cliche as it was, the, uh, the big bat dude, that's like the monster was pretty cool, but that's about it. Um, there's a part where Justin Long finds himself in like this underground cavern where like he sees all the victims have been like nailed to like the cavern walls and ceilings. So that was pretty dope. But, um, yeah, Jeepers Creepers didn't quite do it for me. It's been a long, long time since I've seen that, and I don't remember being super impressed back then. So, apparently, there's a couple sequels too, but I heard not to waste my time and wasn't really planning to after that first one. Sorry. Fair. How about Scream to the Future? All right, that's another horror movie that I watched uh, after the po after we did our horror podcast. Um, Let me guess, it's not going to be nominated for any Oscars unless it's Cocaine Bear. You watch that again? I did not watch that again. I mean, that's not just going to be nominated for that's Oscars. Gonna it's going to sweep the Oscars. <laughs> Every category, even the ones it's not nominated for, going to win. No, I watched, um, I think it was on Amazon. I think it's on Amazon. Uh, totally Killer. Uh, the oh, okay. With Shirna, Kirna Shipka, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. Sabrina. Um, so, again, kind of dumb, but um, I enjoyed it. You take some scream references and some you know scream-esque rules and meta-ness and mix it with back to the future by going back in time to try to stop murders before they happen <laughs> um what could go wrong all sorts of fun interesting stuff i know there are a lot of people uh there were a lot of um conservatives that were like oh my god this movie's so woke and blah 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 on the internet because you know you took a girl who was supposed to be 17 in the year 2023 and sent her to 1987 i don't 
think know what you expect was going to happen. Hmm. So yeah. times times have changed. Just a little bit, but I th- I thought it was fun. Um, definitely not winning any 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 awards, but neither is Jeepers Creepers, so you can fuck right off. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> um, give me the good. The good. So after the last podcast, I took y'all's recommendation and checked out X and Pearl. Pretty I good shows. Me and Goth. Um, both way way different than I expected. Um, X being like kind of this uh kind of alternate version of a uh, Texas Chainsaw um, story. Um, kind of interesting how it, you know, it's focused um, kind of around the porn um, realm, and that's really what triggers these uh, these old crazies to go to, uh, yeah, get these people off their lawn. Yeah, I think if you go up to a place and say, hey, can I still rent that house, and the guy throws a gun in your face, maybe you should just move on to the next property, but, you know, just saying. The movie's got to happen. Um, Pearl was like way, way different than I expected. And I'm really curious how this uh, trilogy will continue since X and Pearl weren't quite as linked as what I was hoping. But, um, you know, still intrigued to why the, why the hell uh, Mia is in both of them. <laughs> um, so hopefully we'll uh, figure that out. Maybe uh, some of, oh gosh, Pearl's, uh, we never really got why Pearl was into her at the time. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what more gets flushed out, but it's very interesting movies about, um, you know, repressed sexuality, uh, bubble into the top. So, I mean, p- part of the reason that she plays Pearl in Pearl is that she played Pearl in X in a suit. Right. Yeah. So, and then plus they get to keep the same star throughout the trilogy. Mm-hmm. You know, time for Maxine. Maxine. But there has to be something to the fact that, like, this lady was, like, macking on her, like, younger self. I mean, I guess she, you know, saw something in her, you know, reminded her of herself. I mean, clearly, like, you know, Pearl has some some issues. Um, I think it would be cool to have a movie that's in between Pearl and X. And I thought you were, we were going to get a little bit more of that in Pearl, where, mm-hmm. where you got more of what was in between the two. But, um, definitely just enough connection tissue to, to, to make it good. But I mean, you know, obviously you there's know, some the more same, meat on the bone there. It's in the same place. Um, and all of that, but also like X was like dirty, like grimy, like, like Texas chainsaw or Halloween or something like that. Some of those like really early slasher movies. It was really, yeah. Dirty, Pearl was almost like a, uh, kind of an old fashioned kind of period piece kind of deal. I mean, it yeah, was like it, all the way back in the World War One days. Yeah, and it was made to look like it was in like Technicolor, which I really like because I love Technicolor. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought it, I thought it was uh, like it's a very good juxtaposition, and they make for very different like entries. But I think that's really good too because like what happened when we wa- when you watched all the Friday the Thirteenths, they all fucking blend together, you know? So like because yeah. they they you know it's the kind of the same formula. So be interesting to see where where maxine goes yeah for sure i mean we get the whole tease about like how she's like related to this whole like like uh televangelists that are all over the tv and x so yes curious to see how this uh what's next for that part that so billy billy Loomis, as in billy wilder oh okay van wilder wait a minute no, Billy Wilder. Yeah, that's that, that that's award winning stuff right there. Yeah, that is award winning <laughs> stuff. Um, 
You got uh, Sunset Boulevard and Witness for the Prosecution, which I have watched this month. Um, okay. Which one do you like better? Sunset. Sunset okay. was 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 better. Witness was very good. Um, I mean, I do really like like courtroom dramas. Um, you know, a few, a few good men and like a Time to Kill come to mind. Um, that I watched a couple of years ago. But um, Charles Lawton and Witness for the Prosecution is just crazy, crazy good performance. Remind me, even though it was before. I saw the movie first. It reminded me a lot of Gregory Peck in To Kill a Mockingbird, which is another mm-hmm. kind of courtroom drama movie where it was just a very super strong lead performance kind of carries the movie. Um, and then I liked at the end of the movie, it tells you you can't talk about it. You can't give away like what happens in the courtroom kind of thing in the credits. So that was really good. And then <laughs> Sunset Boulevard. Broke. Did you know that was the uh, I'm waiting. I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeVille, that movie. No, I did not. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Sunset Boulevard had been like on my watch list for, I don't know, like two years or something since since Carl had watched it. And I guess it's been a few years since we did Sabrina on the cast, but um, I need to watch more Billy Wilder and I'm just kind of bad about it because every Billy Wilder movie I've watched, I've really liked. I think my least favorite is Seven Year Itch and that's still very good. So, yeah. um, excuse me. But, um, and Sun- Sunset Boulevard just like it's somewhat biographical um, about the the actual lead actress was mm-hmm. a you know uh, a silent movie star and right. had a hard you know, transitioning to talkies and yep. all that stuff and it was just it was so good and you kept getting these little extra layers and Billy Wilder knows how to make a movie like he just he. Or what, he was so great. He just knows what he's doing. He knows how so, to intrigue you. Sunset Boulevard or uh, Double Indemnity? Mm-hmm. I'd go Sunset. I think, I think Sunset is probably better. I don't. I I think that's more of a one A one B like kind of the day of the week. Which one I would prefer? Mm-hmm. Um, Double Indemnity is a little bit more in my typical wheelhouse. Um, you know, being, um, I guess, noir. But then again, Sunset has got that meta element to it, you know, where it's a movie about movie or people in movies. And I also really dig that. So I, I don't know. That's really hard to say between the two. Notice um, any um, Mulholland Drive connections? No, because I'm not on enough drugs for Mulholland Drive. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm i sure maybe there was like some scenery or something like that. But um, I mean, they're both I, named I, after a road and. California, LA, so Hollywood. Is that it? Is that is that the stretch you're gonna make? Is they're both named after streets in Hollywood? Well, it's a pretty easy one. <laughs> Low hanging fruit. <laughs> I I mean, or it's just they're both named after streets. They're inspired off of each other. Or well, you know, obviously <laughs> oh. David Lynch off of Sunset. So I'm 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 just gonna let I'm gonna ask you what the fuck with that name what the fuck is with that name Mulholland Drive no your category my guy what the fuck oh oh you want to move on (laughs) yeah I'm moving I am because we one if we continue we're going to get bogged down here we're going to go back to the same debate that we've had for years so we're just move on okay so I watched uh Ruby Gilman uh Teenage Kraken which should have been just called like my life is a sea monster 
So like, did you ever see eighth grade? Like the whole like, hi, I'm a kid in high school and my life's hard and I'm going to talk to the screen about it kind of deal. I mean, I don't think I've seen that, but I, I mean, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, see, this is a good movie, but it's wrapped in so many like other like movie skins that it, um, I found it kind of obnoxious because I mean, essentially it's this, this regular girl who goes out in the ocean and, oh, she finds out that she turns into a Kraken, uh, you know, just like turning red where the kid turns into a panda and gosh, there's so many, um, other, I, you just go through my letterbox review and all the different movies it rips off. So it's, I, I don't know. I just find it real frustrating whenever you're watching a movie and you just want to take in what this particular story is, but you're like, well, they got that from inside out and they got that from turning red and they got that from toy story. Those aren't the exact movies, but that's what the kind of movie this is. And, and in Bond, big, is it, I mean, for as good as the animation and, you know, there's a fun climax and stuff with like the uh, evil mermaid fighting the Krakens at the end. So all that, all that's fine. But um, yeah, I mean, nobody saw this because it was called Ruby Gilman. And it's like, what the fuck is that? And so no one saw it. Yeah, because you're like Ruby Gilman. Then you were like, you started talking about it was the, the Kraken movie. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing like advertisements for that. Mm hmm. They should have just called it, I'm a Kraken from the sea. Yeah, it's something simple. Like like with a movie like called Ruby Gilman, you're like, am I like supposed to read the book first? I mean, this sounds kind of like all the way already along the trail. Ruby Gilman sounds like a Woody Allen movie. Like, I haven't seen that many Woody Allen movies, but that just seems like, or, you know, it, it sounds like that, that mm -hmm. kind of like, kind of like more of an artsy kind of film. Just Ruby Gilman. And the funny thing is, Gilman is like you know, like it's it's they're fish people. So Gilman, Gil, <laughs> they think they're so clever. Yep, yep, yep. What were they? Was Ruby was Ruby red? And only the women krakens get like really big and monstrous. Like the little krakens are, uh, they're the the boy krakens are just little chunky dudes, and they're just oh. kind of quirky. Oh, so. they're just little guys. Yeah. Um, and that reminded, well, anyways, yeah, this reminded me of that, reminded me of this, reminded me of that. So, you know how that goes. Okie dokie. So our first movie tonight, we're going to be talking about Band of Outsiders. And let's allow the fine folks at the Criterion to set this one up with their, uh, their description of Band of Outsiders. So four years after Breathless, John Luke Godard reimagined the gangster film with an even more um, radical take with Band of Outsiders, or uh, Band Apart. In it, two restless men enlist the object of both of their fancies, Anna Karenina, uh, to help them commit a robbery at her house. This audacious, wildly entertaining French New Wave gym is at once sentimental and in insociate, um, effervescently romantic and melancholic. Yeah, I think they just kind of pulled out some adjectives there. <laughs> and it features... In, in succinct, maybe? <laughs> some of Godard's most memorable set pieces. Eh, maybe. Including the headlong race through the Louvre, which... We'll get there. And then the unshakably cool Madison dance sequence. So, yeah, a couple, couple good moments in here. But um, let's talk about the package as a whole. So, you want to read off any of these fun facts? All right. Its French title derives from the phrase "faire band apart," which means to do something apart from the group. Which does um, fit really well for for this being like a robbery movie where they're not really interested in the robbery for the most part. 
Um, it is Spine 174, which is special since... Well, it's special for Justin, me since, Justin, like... special for Justin since he watched this before appearing on the Criterion Creeps for the first time with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah, so that was in 2019. Um, there's a moment in here where they're like, you know, moments of silence last forever. And they're say, so like, they're like, oh, let's, let's sit, sit silent for a minute. But it's actually like 36 seconds if so you're counting. I thought that was really cool, but also it made me think back. Do you remember a few years ago in, I think it was, re- I guess it, it was Return of the Jedi. Oh, that's, that's oh, oh, that, oh, Last Jedi. The last Jedi, not Return of the Jedi, but the last Jedi, yes. Right. Where yeah. there's a spot where they're in space and everything is silent, and they yeah. do the where the ship crashes into the other ship or whatever, yep. and how they Full had moment. to start putting like notices before the beginning of the movie or on the theater, like, hey, there's a scene where there's no sound, this is normal. Like, so, like, if they did that today, they would, for this movie, like, this movie came out today, they'd have to do that same thing because people would be like, why is it silent? It's like, <laughs> they literally told you it was a moment of silence, my guy. Uh, Quentin Tarantino named his production company a band part after this particular film. Yeah, he's a big Godard head. Um, no, th- you can have this one. This this is up your alley. When the three are at a cafe midway through the film and Odile goes to the lower floor of the cafe to use the bathroom, the music playing in the background is from Jacques Demi's musical, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which we did on this podcast on yep. season two, episode one. Many, so like episode 21? 11? Yeah, probably. Was that episode 11? I think it was 21. Uh, I think we 21. had 20 movies in the first go yeah, around. Yeah, we had 10. And yeah, so like episode 21, it's on the channel. It's a very good uh, very good episode. That's when we were doing... It was actually our first episode of doing... Themes, right? Themes, and that theme was musical. And I picked Umbrellas of Cherbourg because um, it inspired one of my favorite movies. Um, I believe the accompanying movie with that was Dancer in the Dark. Um, which was also not my favorite movie, but a good juxtaposition to how like bright and colorful Umbrellas was. So, it, oh, definitely, it, like, yeah, definitely yeah. a contrast there. Yeah, definitely anti-musical. Good, yeah, anti-musical. Definitely a good one. If you want to go back and check it out, you should. It's good stuff. And we took twenty-five days to shoot this. Not surprising, since it kind of looks like they uh, just kind of made it up as they went along. So, yeah, let's get into it. So, this is a French movie, like I mentioned earlier. It doesn't seem really interested in, like, its robbery plot, and more so with, like, just hanging out with these three characters in a love triangle, and they're kind of poking fun at the um, the genre as they go along. Um, can always depend on guitar, Godard for some weird choppy editing. Um, if you ever watch Breathless, it's very known for its jump cuts, and then that... Um, that whole like introductory sequence where we're seeing the three characters like um, slam cut like constantly with the jazzy music, good stuff there to open it up. But uh, slow down s- slows down quite a bit after that. What so um introdu- in, any uh, introductory thoughts to uh, this this guy? And I didn't really pick up that I guess it was supposed to be punking poking fun at the genre. Um, maybe Which is mild like. One of the biggest instances I saw was like whenever they're like they're getting that ladder to like break up in the window and they're like 
first of all, they're like outside in their masks. So they look ridiculous and they're like all exposed. And then they're taking forever to lift this ladder up. And then he goes all the way up there and he doesn't even break the window. He just bitches about it. It's just like, wow. Like you said in your review, these guys are really bad at this. <laughs> yeah. Like I just was like, man, these guys, what, what this is like the, um, the three stooges, <laughs> um, like it just, or you know the kind of music that I kind of expected right then um yeah I don't I I was what you're about to what you have next about how it's in the winter and in black and white like like the shots weren't ugly the shots like the shots were framed well the shots themselves were fine it was just the stuff mm-hmm. in the shots yeah were... it's France during the winter time so very bleak and they, yeah, I, the two characters definitely want to make their way to South America by the end of this. But, like, usually you think of, like, Paris, you like, lines of trees with, like, you know, uh, spring blooms and, you know, just very nice and effervescent. But this is a very bleak, uh, wintry French setting. So, not not the nicest of times. Hmm. Oh, yeah, and then they do they do the, the scene... I guess it's not from Tombstone. I, I guess it's from it's some... like Billy the Kid and or something and a sheriff yeah. and they like reenact yeah. like a, a shootout. Yep, foreshadowing. It's very dramatic with their uh, getting shot for, by pretend. Um, they do. I also I think I noticed how they like move around the car and stuff is weird. Like, cause there's a scene where they that's actually later in the movie where the dude could just get in the car and instead he like backs up while the car is backing up and then gets in the car and you know this whole scene where they they do the fake shootout and they're he's just like trying to claw on the car like he's dying and he's like oh yeah let me drive and it's like what <laughs> yeah, um i remember and then that now when when they get the when they put the top up later like the top is ragged and there's like the back window is gone and like i don't know it's just it's really it's like a nice looking car with the roof down and you put the and you put the roof up and it looks like garbage. <laughs> there's a lot of weird transportation because there's like like random times where she's riding a bike and then like she's having to take this little boat over this really really skinny channel at some points I guess to be sneaky and it's just a lot of um, hassle with the tra- transportation. I got a kick out of the fact that like whenever they're riding around, at least like it's not like green screen or not green screen, but like rear projection, like driving. Like, it seemed like every time they were riding around the vehicle, they were actually like in the car, which was nice. Um, and it was either like we were staring at the back of their heads or like the camera was mounted to the hood looking at them. So um, very distinct with um, definitely uh, the way the Gadar shoots car scenes. And then we get into some of the, the well. Let's the see. They meet. Yep. Yep. Go ahead with the, how they meet it. Meet up. Yeah. So they meet at like an English class. Um. And the English teacher. So they come in and they like sit in weird places and they move around and then the Eng- the teacher is reading them um Romeo, Romeo and, and Juliet, Juliet. Mm-hmm. in French, but then wants them to transcribe it back in English. And I'm like, well, yeah. like I get that that's actually you know in like old style English. I couldn't imagine trying to translate old English from French. That seems rough. Um, yeah, you would like you would think with a foreign language class that like she'd be like having them like constantly like repeat stuff back in English, but that's no. This is like all in France and or French, and the only thing she wants them to write down in English is uh, yeah, just transcribe things so uh, kind of a strange English class, but I I suppose this is kind of with them talking about Romeo and Juliet, they might be 
foreshadowing some doomed romance, perhaps. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so you have Odile, and you have the the two guys. Is it Franz and Arthur? Arthur and I don't remember which one. I think Arthur was already in the class and brings Franz to the class or vice versa. I think it's vice versa. I think the guy that kind of looks like the Lace Samurai guy, that's Franz. And he's the one that originally um, has the hots for her and then Arthur tries to move in on it. Yeah, and she had told him about this money and then he tells his buddy and then also his buddy's uncle, which comes up mattering later. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they kind of start concocting this plan, but this one guy's just like macking on her hard like right off the cut like you know have you even kissed before and like they both definitely look and seem like they are much older than she is like i know in the description it says young guys but they Mm. definitely seem to be six seven eight nine ten years older than than yeah all these actors seem way too old to be doing this classroom meet cute kind of deal which is what we get um she lives with her aunt, and she kind of, like, fantasizes about having this money, and, like, she mentions it to Franz, but, yeah, it gets, like, blown way bigger, uh, way more out of proportion than what she expected, because I don't think she ever wanted to really act on it, even though the guys are, like, all about it. Yeah, and I definitely, you know, it was that we're taking advantage of you to get this money um, kind of thing. A lot of... Um, like manipulation but then also you know she's a girl with a crush or two crushes or 75 crushes whatever and is like or i guess you know in love as she said uh throughout um, do you get the like the the big attraction for anna karenina like i get that she's like an attractive uh brunette with like big puppy dog eyes and she's pretty but like her being like this French New Wave, like, sex icon, I'm not, not quite getting that. I mean, the, the, I really like her face. Like, maybe maybe mm-hmm. in different clothes or something. I mean, granted, she was in, I guess, a schoolgirl school outfit most of the movie. Yeah. But, you know, it's not super revealing. I mean, I thought that with the way her hair was done, there was... I don't remember which movie it was in. It might have been even in an interview or something. That um, there was a something that I saw where Jennifer Lawrence's hair was very similar to that. And I thought she looked a lot like jennifer lawrence in this movie and i love jennifer lawrence so (laughs) i was i was down with her but i mean i can see what you're what you're saying um you're not getting the obsession i mean she was in like seven goddard movies like his Uh his his version his muse um, his muse his version of mifune um (laughs) um it was better to watch this movie like knowing that a lot of like the conversations didn't amount to much like I wasn't like hanging like on every word and more or less I was like more or less taking in like the environments and kind of the mood of each scenes. But then like I kind of felt like I needed more to take away with there. So I ended up reading back through like all the subtitles to uh, see what I could glean. So I'll get into that more shortly. Um, There were things that I kept I kept noticing. Um, So we mentioned the like the the coffee shop scene earlier or whatever. where they would do things where they would just switch how they sat, like all moved around where they were sitting mm-hmm. and like move and then move their drinks around instead of sitting in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was strange. I don't know if there was a reason for that um, or if it was supposed to just kind of seem cool, but like one would get up and sit beside the other one, which forced one to move. And then that one would do the same. And it was, <laughs> it was just kind of weird. And then, you know, they also like tried to, I don't want to say drug, but I guess spike, spike her, her Coca-Cola with the schnapps. Mm, okay, I didn't even catch that. 
Um, but I did see where she ran into a tiger in an alley because um, yeah, that was I random. Thought it, I thought it was like a like a petting zoo or like a zoo or something because oh, really? I was wondering why she went home because she was like, I'm going to go home. And then, you know, she took the money to go shopping. And then she also she took I thought, it you know, it looked like she was taking meat out of the refrigerator. Like, oh, in a sandwich or something, you know, mm-hmm. to take with her to eat. Oh, did she give that? Oh, dudes. she gave that to the tiger. Yeah, she threw it on like the ground. Oh, I didn't catch tiger. that. I was wondering. Yeah, I was wondering what that slab of meat was all about on the table. Yeah, she gave it to the to the, to the to the random tiger. <laughs> um, so we already talked about the the silent sequence. Um, and the deconstructed dancing was that. Did you enjoy that part? I mean, how do you how do you not? I'm trying to think think back. Um, because the music's going, and then all of a sudden the music stops, and you can just hear them like stamping and stuff. And oh it's yeah, kind of this, yeah, this cool kind of moment. It was, it was okay. <laughs> like um, it's kind of that's honestly kind of my my opinion to this whole movie is that it's just it's okay. So, yeah. uh, pick up any of uh, Godard's meta commentary there. I I got a kick out of whenever he was like making fun of the guys dancing. <laughs> It's like, oh, he's looking at his feet. Um, so to get into some of this dialogue here, so like, yeah, throughout, like I noticed they were they were talking about like um, the ability to kill and like politics and like male female attraction. So here are a few quotes I kind of enjoyed. Um, anyway, screw it all. Do you even know what screw means? No, what? Then don't say it. <laughs> I do remember um, that because I was just like, I was like, eh, that kind of makes. Uh, I mean, you don't. You know, screw it all. You don't understand what it's in context there. I mean, I, I get mm-hmm. it, but still. Um, so they'll be talking about the robberies, but then, like, in the background, like, there's, like, these news alerts where, like, they're saying, like, these different countries are being invaded. And it's, like, all these, like, macro problems, and they're very petty with, like, their love triangle and robbery. Um, I do want to know, where do we get this peppermint soda, and does that taste any good? Because I've never heard of peppermint soda, and I'm quite intrigued. Well, yeah, and see, at first, because he was like a peppermint soda, so she she was like ordered a coke, and he's like, okay, oh, is that the tr- oh, they're tricking her into drinking coke well, with schnapps? They, well, they say yeah, they say coke. She asked for a coke. One of the guys asked for a schnapps, and the other guy's like, don't forget my peppermint soda, and so she has the coke in the bottle and pours, and they give her a, a glass, and she pours it in there, and the dude's mm. got the white liquid in what looks kind of like a, sh- it's not a shot glass, but it looks kind of similar. And then when she gets up and goes to the bathroom, he takes his and pours it into the rest of her Coke. And nothing mm. came of it. I was expecting something to happen of it, but it definitely seemed like they were trying to spike her drink. But So here's some of that uh, Godard commentary. So she, she says, um, Odile um, wonders if the boys notice her breasts moving as she dances. Franz thinks of nothing, uh, of, thinks of everything and nothing. Uncertain if reality is becoming dream or dream reality. So yeah, this is kind of an example of some of the the more uh, pretentious things that uh, Godard's saying. I mean, it's a pretty interesting written script, but um, at the same time, it doesn't feel like it really flows. Um, Nothing they felt could prevent events from taking their course. Under crystal skies, Arthur, Odelia, and Franz cross bridges suspended over glassy rivers. The moats uh, gelid, the water dead, the taste of ashes was in the air it's like it's very poetic um for what we got here uh 
And then uh, here's another scene. Um, do you see how, uh, did you see how white her thighs are? Funny, there are no police cars around here. They're around, they're using idiot detecting devices. <laughs> um, you said you weren't lovers. I told you she's a liar. Where is she? I don't know, the bitch. <laughs> so, some very uh, interesting dialogue woven in here that I, I, I just had to pick out for a podcast pleasure. Yeah, the, the 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 did you see how wide her thighs are? I don't remember why they had her, like why they were looking at her stockings there. I know later she takes her stockings off and they use them as stockings to cover their face, but I don't remember why. But then really, did you see how wide her thighs were? And it's like, okay, um, <laughs> they're horny. So, I mean, such yeah, as it is. I, I also forgot about the damn uncle. Um, but. So we got, and, and I forgot about him at the, you know, we get to the end and I'm like, the fuck is going on here? And like, uh -huh. the movie ends and I'm asking Carl and I'm like, well, this wasn't the guy with the money because this was the guy with the money. Well, who is this guy? And they're like, he was like, that's the uncle. I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense now. Because <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't go, hey, uncle, or he's just like, you bastard. And you're like, uh, who's this motherfucker? Yeah, he just kind of like. like they're all in like hats and trench coats and shit, and it's mm -hmm. like none of you are la samurai, so I, I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of wanders up, and then there's that whole weird shootout. Um, we skipped right over the part where they're running through the Louvre. Oh yeah, now we're done talking about it. So, anyways. Oh, um, also, did you, I thought it was weird. So we're talking about the Louvre, and they run through it at that point to break Jimmy Johnson's record by 0.2 seconds. But there's another part where they're in the car. And they're driving, and she's like, what's this white building? And they're like, the Louvre. And I'm like, how's this bitch lived in, like, lived near the Louvre her whole life and not know what it is? I get that she, like, was sheltered on, like, this little island or whatever, but, like, I think you would know what the Louvre is. That'd be, like, that's essential to, like, living in, like, D.C. and being like, what's the Capitol building or the Lincoln Memorial? Like, I'm... But anywho... Yeah, or yeah, or like the White House even. So, um, yeah. so the masks looks look super cool, but kind of seem overkill for this uh, middle of the day kind of robbery thing. Um, we already talked about the latter scene, which cracked me up quite a bit. Um, they're sure taking all this bad luck out on her. Oh yeah, because they start like kind of like they tie her up and they kind of beat on her, and so they kind of turn like turn into assholes. Um, yeah, because she they. They attack the door, and then they stuff her aunt in like this uh, closet, not a, not a, a like a closet, like a modern closet, like a, I guess the closet's not the right word. It's it like has a cabinet a, kind of thing. That's yeah, it's how like I saw it, it described in one place. It it has a name other than closet, but I mean it's a closet for clothes. It's just it's not one that's built into your room. It's it's a chest or a yeah piece, a piece of, of furniture. furniture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they think that they killed her, and then... Because they come back the next day because the room is locked, and they're yeah. like, okay, you better have the key, or whatever. And, like, they they come back, and the aunt's there, and so she's all involved with it. Continue. And they pull a gun, and she's like, "It's not. I'm not scared of you, it's not loaded, and it, they shoot the... Mm -hmm. The wall. You know, shoot the wall, and then, you know, she gives them the key, and they stuff her in the, in the closet, um... Mm-hmm. And then they think they killed her, and then they, they like check the refrigerator and find some money and 
they find that some money throughout the place, but it, it's not the the full amount of money. Mm-hmm. But they decide that they're going to skedaddle with what they've got, and then they jump in the car, and then I guess was it Franz? Franz? Don't they drive like, off, but then come back because to yeah, like, Franz, like like check on her? Franz was like, "I'm going to stay and check and make sure she's really dead," but mm-hmm. then they. Oh, oh, okay. They are driving on the highway, and he, they the narration is they saw the uncle's car, and for some reason in my head, I thought it was Mr. Stoltz's car that they saw. Mm-hmm. So they turn around, mm-hmm. and then they come through like the back and see uh, Franz's uncle like digging in the doghouse and getting the money, and then... Franz and they then they like have this almost like dual style walk down where they just shoot at each other until they both mm-hmm. die. Yeah, I think that's Arthur and, and they, the uncle. Yeah, Arthur and the uncle. It's not Franz, but Arthur. And then the um the Mr. Stoltz shows up and they run away and then I guess they made it to South America. They went on like a train. Well, uh, yeah, that shows him on the boat at the end as like Gadar's yeah. getting all meta like. Yeah, they're in love, they think, and they're they're heading off. This picture was done in Technicolor, and we'll see them next time in the tropics. Bye for now. Kind of deal. It's yeah. pretty quirky. So. Okay, yeah, I'm on the same page. Uh, the movie Big Three for me, it's slightly more watchable when you know what's going to happen. There's fun, clever moments in there, but, I mean, they're just moments. I mean, moments don't make a movie whole, I don't think. So, um... Yeah, it's definitely not one I just want to be like, hey, you want to watch Band Apart? Um, yeah, definitely not the most rewatchable art house thing, even though that's only 90 minutes. Just so, so much of it seems so random and so forth. But um, I guess back in the day, this was kind of like a, a breath of fresh air for people. So um, interesting to see, but not quite my cup of tea. Yeah, I also gave it a three. Like, I. I think there are things that are either done well, but then also there's just, I, I don't know if it's uh, the time period issue, you know, it being 60 years later that we're watching this and having seen so many other kinds of movies do, do other stuff or do similar stuff mm-hmm. or, or what, but yeah, it's just, it's just a three. It's not bad. I'm not like upset that I watched it. Like, I mean, it's part of the collection and, um, you know, it's, it, it has a big influence, you know, on, on Quentin and, you know, I've been into that whole watching those kind of movies the last couple of years. So that's, I mean, that's, like I said, not mad that I watched it, but I, I don't know if I would just be like, you know what, I'm gonna sit down and watch a band apart, you know? So. And of course it wasn't on the Criterion channel. It's like, ugh, of course he had to pick the movie he has. That's not on the channel right now. <laughs> oh, wow. It wasn't even on the channel. Wow. It's like 40 movies from Godard on there, and that was not one of them, but... Oh, oh well. I'm sorry. It's all good. Look, if I knew it was going to be hard to watch, I would do like I did with the one movie and send you a copy. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. A long yeah. time ago. Yeah. All right. Season one. Because <laughs> we did Whiplash and um, Tokyo Gore Police. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, Tokyo Gore Police, baby. More people should watch that movie. If you're watching this and you have not, or you're listening to this and you have not seen Tokyo Gore Police, well, I'll, first off, you should listen to that whole episode because first, Whiplash is a fantastic movie and everyone should keep our rhythm and watch that movie. But Tokyo Gore Police is <laughs> a seriously 
underrated, unknown to most people in America, and it is just gory and hilarious. I mean, someone fucking rocket jumps in like the first five seconds of the movie, like mm-hmm. in a video game. That's all you need to know. It's fantastic. It's definitely Joey's tempo. Definitely Joey's tempo. Oh, uh, I mean, that's a little outside of my normal tempo, but it's great. That one's great. <laughs> Featured movie two. All right, let's get into my pick. The Boondock Saints, which I picked because Joey loves it and he introduced it to me. Uh, So back in 1999, the American vigilante action thriller film written and directed by Troy Duffy. uh, And this was his uh, directorial debut. The film follows Irish fraternal twins, Connor and Murphy McManus, who become vigilantes after killing two members of the Russian mafia in self-defense. After both experience an epiphany, the twins gather together with their best friend, funny man, Rocco, set out on a mission to rid Boston of the criminal underworld of the, um, in the name of God, all while being pursued by Willem Dafoe, who plays special, agent, uh, special FBI agent Paul Smecker. He's an FBI agent, Joey. Uh, I'm an FBI agent. I know, isn't it great? It's a much so, um, movie, but also fantastic. Fun fact: so that wasn't a Catholic church in the beginning. That was a Lutheran church because the Catholic churches in Boston didn't want anything to do with the script. Now you know. <laughs> oh well, that makes that makes sense. Um, all right, the tattoos that Connor, which is Sean Patrick Flannery, wears has on his left hand an index finger says veritas which is latin for truth murphy played by a young pre walking dead norman reedus also has mm-hmm. a tattoo in the same place but on his right hand it says aquatus which is latin for justice or equality so truth and justice i, I knew that the character david uh, rocco is named after the actor who plays him because the character was based on and written for him this is a good one. So Troy Duffy flew to New York City to meet with Ewan McGregor and offer him one of the lead roles uh, on a, during a night out. So Duffy got drunk and they got into an argument about the death penalty. McGregor passed on the movie and this and led um, Miramax to this led to Miramax Films putting the movie in turnaround, whatever that means. Um. So this movie was given a limited release in the U.S. due to the Columbine Massacre. It was only shown in five theaters for only one week. However, it later developed a large cult success from word of mouth following the success of DVD sales. And I'm not reading that last line because that movie doesn't exist. Um, Yeah, Boondock Saints 2 sucks. Yeah, Boondock Saints 2 sucks. Um, Troy Duffy is up there with one of the few directors that had an unfuckable sequel and fucked it up and fucked it up very very badly Um, Wachowski siblings are also up there but not near as bad as um, Boondock Saints 2 All Saints Day Um, I showed this to a friend of mine um, and he we were watching it at home this was not in the theater we were watching a blu-ray copy of it in his house and he was like this is uh, it finished. He said that was so bad. I almost got up and walked out of my own house um, to contradict how great the Boondock Saints is. Uh, well, the second one's just a parody. It's like Terminator 3 where it's like making fun of the previous one, which is... I mean, yes. If it's, things and if your movie's that badass, why make fun of it? I don't get it. 
Yeah, well, I mean, not having there. There's some characters that are missing that we're gonna go into in here in a second. But there are some characters that were missing, like um, Julie Benz is a great actress. She was not great in that movie. She did not take over the role of Willem Dafoe very well. Um, not having Rocco in the movie also sucked. And the Hispanic guy they got in his place was also not great. Um, they waited like 10 years in between movies and now we're up to like 14 um, because you can't you can't make Boondock Saints 3 because of the fucking Walking Dead and the Walking Dead spinoffs. But I always thought it was funny that killing gangsters in New York prepared, prepared Norman Reedus to kill zombies in a rural Georgia in the apocalypse. All right, let's go into some more notes for this. So you definitely cannot get, go wrong with old Irish tunes over shots of Boston. Uh, but yeah, The Departed did do it much better. I mean, okay. But to be fair, The Departed is an actual, like, what's the word I want to look for? Good movie. Like a great movie. Like Scorsese. It's a Scorsese movie. Um, and one of <laughs> Scorsese's better movies. Even if, you know, he stole it from Infernal Affairs, that's neither here nor there. But yes, like, The Boondock Saints is many things. It's not an actual academy award-winning great movie is just a great cult movie that at this point it's been a part of my life since i was in high school like it's it's ridiculous nice so um are you familiar with the uh the lady and the i think they're um all state commercials where she's like that's not gonna fit no i can't say that i am Okay, so that's Dot Marie Jones, and she appears in this movie at the uh, the meat uh, processing plant, and she goes to uh, kick one of the guys in the junk after, uh, I guess she mentioned something about, like, back in the day, women got beat or something. Okay, so he was, they were, the brothers were trying to train her. It was her first day at the meat packing plant, and he is Sean Patrick Flannery's character, I'm pretty sure, um, goes, um, the rule of wrist around here, and she goes, oh, the rule of wrist, well, the, you know what the rule of wrist is? The rule of risk came from when it was um you were illegally allowed to beat your wives as long as the stick was no bigger than than um or he said the rule of thumb and he's like oh you can't do much damage with that maybe it should be the rule of wrist and she's like oh I knew it was gonna have problems with you and she kicks one in the dick and then the other one punches her so that's like pretty much one of the first scenes of the movie besides the church scene but yeah all right so um. This Troy guy, uh, sh- oh, yeah, okay, so the, the director really likes uh, a lot of spinning camera movement in, in throughout. I mean, I, I like the style, but, yeah, I definitely wanted to point out that whenever you see a lot of a certain camera moving, definitely want to note it. Um, make like a tree and get the fuck out of here, Joey. I didn't know trees could get, get the fuck like out of here. got to get you like a or something. This Mitch, mix and match shit's got to go. <laughs> Was that um, a line in the movie? Yes, that is that is a line in the movie. So they have this bar that they go to, and the bartender is an older gentleman. He has Tourette's, but he also mixes up proverbs, and they make fun of it a few times. Not like to be mean, but like joshing at him because they they're they, you know they love this guy. So um, yeah. So um, the brothers kind of have this silly side to them, but the movie is structured. Um, so it's it's like. 
something's about to happen and then they like jump forward like to the police like discussing it in a very entertaining way and then we finally go back and see what actually happened in the action scene which was a really good way of uh, building suspense like you're like oh you know something's about to happen and then we jump forward and kind of talk about it and eventually go back and see what happened but um this, this movie really balances kind of that silly side the brothers have with like the badass stuff which the sequel does not mix yes. those two things well at all also, I would like to point out that this definitely feels like Troy Duffy was like, I want to make a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm. Um, I want to make my Pulp Fiction. I want to show you something's going to happen and then we're, something has happened and then we're going to go back to it. Mm. Um, okay. so it very much felt like, and, and especially with some of like the quips and the dialogue and stuff, he... I'm not going to try to, I'm not trying to say he like ripped off Quentin. Like I definitely feel like he was inspired by, or, you know, wanted to try his lot in that, which in 1999, you know, Pulp Fiction was just a few years before that. Mm -hmm. um, definitely that know, era. A, yeah. I mean, it, it, that was one of the big movies, like, you know, like, especially like for gangster movies and that kind of thing in that time period. So definitely makes a lot of sense. Wow, portable uh, CD players don't haven't quite aged uh, like uh, fine wine. <laughs> they're they're pretty clunky whenever you look back on them. But um, still a great scene with Defoe listening to the classical music and uh, kind of getting his mind around that crime scene. Um, that and that you know you you your first introduction to him and and you have Greenlee who is sitting there going you know he's he's just spouting off these ridiculous theories so the, the setup here if you haven't seen this movie is the there's two russian gangsters that are dead in an alley and one's got a bandage on his ass and the other's got a bandage on his head and at this point we don't know what has happened to them the only thing we know is they showed up at the bar where the brothers were talking shit talking shit because they had bought the, the 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 guy had until the end of the week and they were like hey it's saint patrick's day everyone's irish today and the dude gets all shitty and then rocco asked one of my favorite uh favorite questions of all time in a movie he's like hey boris what would you do if your pinko commie mother sucked so much dick that her face looked like an egg that leads to a giant fight and then the next thing we see is the two guys dead on the ground um, and Greenlee is like, oh, what's better for a strong arm robbery? Two guys are already beat up. Um, his serial crushers. And what he does is he hits the guy in the head. Because the guy with the bandage on the ass, he's going nowhere. Where are you going? Fucking nowhere. And he keeps, you know, serial crusher guy and huge frigging guy. And then Smacker shows up. And the, the head of the police department's like, we're going to have this guy take over. And he's like, who are you? And he just whips his you know, pulls his coat off so you can see his badge and, or his ID. And he's like, this is who the fuck I am. Sends him to get coffee, which ends up becoming like a recurring joke mm -hmm. throughout the movie. Um, and then we get the scene where he's looking for a bullet in a brick wall mm -hmm. um, with the classical music playing. And that is one thing that they do well, especially in the scenes with Willem Dafoe, is that classical music that's set to these scenes um, you get later into the movie, you know, in the whole there's a this is, there's a firefight, like they mm -hmm. do that in this movie very well. I think if you take that element out of this movie, even with all the badass action scenes and all of that kind of stuff, this movie is taken down a lot um, by not having that music. And I think we're back to what I was saying about 
being definitely inspired from Tarantino. Think about Tarantino's use of music, um, music that doesn't necessarily, maybe you wouldn't think would fit. Like you wouldn't expect classical music in a big gangster shootout movie. You would expect maybe, you know, something for the time period or, or something of that nature and not, you know, traditional classical style music. And then, you know, he makes it work. So Smecker's an interesting character. He's kind of persnickety and we do find out he's gay, but he's uh, he's definitely more of a bear because, um, yeah, if you act more feminine around you, he's definitely going to put you in your place. So it's, it's, it's fun to hear him have that kind of different uh, styled, um, you know. Homosexual man. So another thing, do you having watching this movie in 2023, mm-hmm. do you notice how much they smoke versus like a movie that's made now where even the good guys smoke, where they smoke in like every fucking scene. Everybody is smoking. Cops, bad guys, everybody smokes. There's house phones, which, you know, are a relic. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot phones. of smoking in a band apart. I definitely noticed that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, they're French. Um, <laughs> well, you know, and it was the '60s. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's just um, there's a lot of I think in one of my reviews where I talk about how it is a relic of '99. So that also comes up when you're talking about Paul Smecker and people being more feminine because there is a scene where he, you know, he drops a slur um, that was fine to say in 1999. That is. Definitely not fine to say now, mm-hmm. unless you're Irish and referring to a cigarette, and then that's a that's a different different thing. But in America, not cool to say anymore. Buns of fire, flaming ass. Yeah, that was a wild scene where they what they uh, they tie him to the bar and set his ass on fire. The yeah, big so Russian guy. The, when, when we go back and they finally find the McManus brothers because there's this big hunt for them, and they're recalling. <laughs> And they stumble into the police station because they're they're a little beat up, right? Yeah, they're a little beat up. Um, they come from the hospital, and um, they had you know, we're we're getting they're recalling what happened. In between, we see them uh, start the bar fight into all the way of the fight in the alley. So you see them start the fight in the bar fight, and eventually they take one of the guys and they've got him tied down to the bar, and they pour some booze on him and light it on fire and you fast forward to the next day and the two Russians show up and he, they make one of the brothers cuff himself to the toilet and he points his humongous gun at the guy and you can see like the, the hammer and sickle in the top of the gun which I thought was kind of cool oh, not catch needed, that. But, but cool I didn't catch it until like a couple years ago and I've seen the movie a hundred times so don't have you ever seen train spotting I have not seen train spotting yet um the moment where like he lifts up the toilet whenever he's like handcuffed to it and like the music's jamming that's like definitely like a feels like train spotting danny boy okay cool but yeah like like you said he he's he takes his other brother and he takes um he takes um daryl he takes daryl and he's gonna kill him and he um he's like this is a a bar fight you guys are a bunch of pussies and so sean patrick flannery um pulls him, you know, he's got these long, his long cuffs because short cuffs wouldn't have worked. It's these long cuffs, and he rips the toilet out of the floor, and then drops the toilet from the roof onto one of the guys and falls down onto the other one, mm-hmm. beats him to death with the top of the toilet. They take their guns, their jewelry, their money, their pager. The pager is important, um, all of that, and then they go to the hospital, 
And then, you know, they're now telling Agent Smecker everything, and you find out that they can speak, mm-hmm. like, five or six languages, um, you know, German and Irish, or Gaelic, and mm-hmm. Spanish and Italian. And um, they end up spending the night, actually, in the jail. Not because they're being charged, they just don't want to deal with the press. Yep, stay away stay from, from the media. Yeah, um, and that leads to another great piece of humor in there, where um, there's, like, a like a younger police officer comes in and he's like, Hey, these guys are just going crazy. And he was like, y'all aren't smeckers. Like y'all aren't being charged. You want to talk to them? No. And um, they asked if they could stay here. And the cops like, Oh, we've got an extra jail sale. Um, you can stay in. And he's, you know, he looks at agent smecker and he's like, is that fine? And he's like, well, I have to ask your mom, but it's okay if with me, if your friends stay over, and it's just <laughs> like these little intermittent pieces of where uh-huh. they like throw in, this humor because there is like just a lot of violence. Um, mm-hmm. But that's when they have the revelation is while they're staying in the jail cell. And then the pager goes off and the next morning, the pager goes off and they take down the number to go to the plaza. Um, and then they go to some underground place and sell all the stuff they have to buy more guns. Oh, the, uh, the Irish arsenal thing where yeah, like the they Irish see the arsenal. Irish flag and there's like all these like sniper rifles and cannons and like they're about to start a war. Yeah. And so they, um, but you, you end up getting, you know, just things they mix in that are supposed to be funny that come into play later. Like, um, you know, he, he, one of them has a giant Rambo knife. You know what I'm talking about. Every, when, you, when I say a Rambo knife, you know what I mean. And the other one's like, I'm going to get some rope. And he's like, why? He's like, well, they, you know, they always need it in the movies. And he's like, well, this, is, this ain't no movie. And he's like, Charlie Bronson always needs his rope. <laughs> it's a and bad TV like, oh, show. That, oh, is that right, Rambo? <laughs> and then I see, yeah, I think I might have skipped uh, where Ron Jeremy is in this. Um, yep. Yep, he's a he's a dirty old man as usual. It's Ron Jeremy. Well, he, yeah, he, he is. Uh, he is in the mafia. He is an underboss. He's the underboss to to Don Papa Joe Yacovetta. Um They're talking to Rocco, and uh, they want Rocco because he's the funny man until the joke. So he he does yes. he says a joke all about like getting the minorities out of America or whatever, and they correct him and make sure he's using all the slurs in order to make it a good good racist joke. So. Yeah, it's a good racist joke. Um, I do, I did like the story. They're waiting for Papa Joe, and he's on the phone, and all of a sudden, he, you know, fucking slams the phone down, and he's like, "You have to tiptoe through the tulips of these assholes. You're not supposed to tell a man you'll kill him no more. The '90s are killing me, and that's why you know he wants to hear a joke." Um, I'm not gonna. I know the joke, but I'm not gonna say it because, like Justin said, it is it is racist. Um, and he, like they said, uh, Rocco does try to say it with more politically correct terms, but they keep making sure that he uses um, the expletive versions of those terms um, to uh, get the joke across. And they laugh eventually at it. So I guess you know he doesn't he doesn't die there. So. <laughs> Tell me another joke. <laughs> He's like, what? Oh, I think my favorite quote from the movie. What is the symbolism, Joey? The symbolism. I believe the word you're looking for is, it's it's not symbolism, Justin. What you're looking for is symbology. What is the <laughs> symbology? I believe the word you're looking for is symbolism. What is the symbolism? And then we hear namiology later making fun of detective. Dude has a very Greek name that I cannot 
remember is super greek um so accurate for uh shooting upside down and twirling in a circle oh yes very accurate but i mean they did have the surprise these guys were sitting down not expecting um they start like arguing in the vent too right it's it's a whole clusterfuck so i think that's probably one of my favorite ones for like figuring out what the fuck happened because it was such a clusterfuck (laughs) yeah and this whole this whole thing here is great because they fall down through the ceiling they shoot the guys, they execute the big man, and then they're they're standing there talking, and they're like, yeah, you always got that one guy who jumps over the couch, and you got to shoot him for like 10 fucking minutes. And then they find the case of money, and then there's a knock at the door, and they look through the door, and there's Rocco, a.k.a. Jafar, there to deliver him his food. So they're like, we've got to fuck with him, because, of course, we've just committed, you know, nine murders we can just stand in this room and just fuck with our friend who just showed up. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. So they drag him in. Um, they stick their guns in the face and start interrogating him. And then they find out that he only had a six shooter and there was like nine people. But they, they tell him that they're fucking with him. They, you know, they reveal, they take their mask off because they have, they have actual ski masks, not stockings like in Goddard. Um, and then comes one of my favorite... Uh, favorite scenes in movie history. How oh, really? you two fucking fucks? Fucking fuck! What the fuck? Fuck! 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 And then you know, well, it certainly illustrates the diversity in the word now, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but basically, here slow motion like, violence a lot of times in this too. Yeah, like it's very stylized, very very stylized. Um, uh, caught me off guard when that one section went black and white when the the church music cranks up and they're doing the whole like putting the coins in their eyes, you know, for the dead yeah. ceremony yeah, yeah, kind of thing. Pay, yeah, pay the toll to Karan. Oh, yeah, I think you just mentioned that part where they like to they, have, they like to fuck with Rocco in their head gunpoint. It's like, maybe you shouldn't uh, be pulling somebody's chain, to, chain at gunpoint. It's a little, a little kind of intense. Man, oh, oh, and speaking of Pulp Fiction, when they, they blow the cat away. Bro, they... That, that cat, so one of my buddies back back when we were in school, it was either in high school or it might have been after I came back from college, you, were, you would have still been in college, we were watching it on a PC, and he slowed it down frame by frame. You can see the cat explode. Now, obviously, it's not a real cat. They didn't shoot a real cat back in 1999, mm-hmm. but you could see just the explosion of this cat, um, which leads to... There's this movie is just it's just so many scenes. So this um you you see the Rocco they're trying to tell Rocco like hey this was a setup and he's like that's just not how it works mm-hmm. and Rocco leaves and then you see him and he comes back and he's freaking out. Um his girlfriend has showed up. His girlfriend and his friend her friend have showed up and are just chilling and on the way before he leaves to go to work, he's like, hey, Barry the cat. And they're like, hey, is your girlfriend going to be mad? And she's like, fuck him. He would sell, she would have sold it for a dime bag. So you, you, they get a phone call and it's like, catch you on the flip side. And then oh, yeah. the next thing you know, yeah. he's running in. He's going nuts. He's like throwing an, he picks up the randomest shit. It's like some records, an iron, um, all sorts of shit. He's throwing in bags. Like, get your shit. We got to go. And then the girls are like, yo, Rocco. Hey, where's our cat? And he's like, I killed your cat, you druggy bitch. Why? I thought it'd bring closure to our relationship. 
And she's like, I can't believe you do that to my precious little one. And he pulls his gun out, and he's like, I'll shoot myself in the head if you can tell me that cat's name. And then she names it. It's Skippy. And he's like, what color was it, bitch? And then her friend tries to stand up for, it, for her, and she's like, he pulls the gun and points it at her and says some very disparaging things about um, how many people that she has been with. Um, and then they leave, and you get the flashback to what happens where he goes into the deli, couple of guys you know they're like oh i bet it was a test we did our part um you did yours we got our funny bone but fuck it they know we're good fellas and then he finds out you know that everybody knew they were gonna that he was basically being sent to die so he kills those guys he kills mm-hmm. the bartender it's all in broad daylight i'm sorry the fat fuck bartender as greenlee will say later um so yeah you just and then after that we he's trying to determine how they determine how they have a system. And he's like, it's me. I'm the guy. I know everybody. I know mm-hmm. who, where they live. I know who they're fucking. Um, and so then they decide they're going to kill Ron Jeremy. Yep. And that's the whole uh, jerk off strip joint massacre thing where they're talking about looking down the different peepholes and shooting through the, the one way glass. Right. Yeah. 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 So they go in, um, he makes his own ski mask out of a toboggan. He's like, no, you look scary, man. You look like Mushmouth. From a Fat from, Albert, right? From Fat Albert. And he goes in, and the, the stripper, is, she passes out, and he, like, squeezes her tit. And they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'll tip her. Um, but, yeah, they look down, um, and they shoot. They kill Ron Jeremy, and then they're like, oh, man, this is like scumbag warehouse. We can come down here and clean house every day. And um, But then Rocker's like, yo, let me get my shot. And so he tries to shoot into these, you know, these other guys and he misses and then he spins the guns and he crosses them and shoots. He's like, why are you fucking her? You got um, a cowboy leads, here. It, yeah. It leads to Paul Smecker being super confused because they, they've got good shooting. He's like, good shooting, shitty shooting. And then, you know, Kennedy style bullet theory with bullet. This guy was killed with gun A, but there's bullets from gun B in the wall. And this guy was killed with gun B, but there's bullets from gun A in the wall. And then they tell him about the deli shooting, and he starts freaking out. Um, and then they, Rocco, you know, he's so, like, Smecker is 100% like the fucking, besides Rocco, he is some of the, the, the comedic relief. Because his dramatizations and acting is ridiculous. Um, somewhere in this is... Papa Joe goes to like his great uncle, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Whenever they get the uh, the badass out of jail, yeah, yeah, so they can get Il Duce out of jail, and um, so then you now now you have this guy who likes to kill wise guys, likes to kill people who kills people on the loose. They're getting him out of prison, but the the saints they've got one more. One more stop before that kind of showdown happens. Um, so Rocco tells him about this guy who it's essentially he was an assassin, a hitman. He goes in, kills a house like he was ordering a fucking pizza, as they say in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they go and we're again, we're outside of the crime scene. And Paul Smecker, go, you know, he's like, this is what happened. And it shows them going in, how they get in. And they go into basically this this room that you can only be let in from the inside. And people are playing poker and playing playing pool and stuff, and they just go in there. 
the three of them, and they just massacre like everybody. They shoot the guy under the pool table, and then Rocco starts freaking out because the guy they were looking for wasn't there. Um, he's in the bathroom. He actually pulls the the towel rack off the wall. Um, Rocco shoots him in the gut, and he still comes after him. And the 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 Saints are like, "Yo, he's got to fight him. You know, earn his stripes." And he ends up beating him to death with a pool cue. Um, so you know, then they leave out the front door of the house and there's as this, this scene is fucking chef's kiss. This is the one where he holds the gun up in the sky. And it's like, there's a firefight. Yep. I did this quote in one of our episodes. There was a firefight. And you have a Defoe pointing his gun up into the air. Like it's like platoon or something. Good stuff. And then, you know, he's like, it was a fucking ambush. They were six men with drawn guns drawn where you see, the audience there's only one man with six guns um mm-hmm. it's rocco i think confirms out. later right one so, of them confirms yeah. it <laughs> yeah well one of the brothers does confirm it later but um greenlee is like what if it was one guy with six guns and he's like the day i want the boston pd to do my thinking for me i'll have a tag on my foot but um so you see this big shootout and the cars are being you know, destroyed, and, you know, he's taking the guns and dropping them. The foe's doing, like, the air guns, which is a nice touch. And then they, um, the brothers, this they actually get shot. One of them gets the arm, one gets the leg, and Rocco mm-hmm. gets his finger shot off. Mm-hmm. And then so you see, you know, they run away at the end. There's blood all over the columns, and they what yep. they do, they, where's my blood samples? But they wiped it all down with ammonia, and, and Smeckers is like, I've never seen anything like this! And he's freaking out, and he and dives in the bushes in and the blood there's and Rocco's like smells finger. It and everyone's looking at him like he's crazy and there's the, the scene in the earlier where he had to like put all the blood he was wearing gloves with the blood in his hair um and then we get to one of the the scene you talked about earlier where he's um well no this is a different scene where he um he's at a bar he's at a gay bar drinking and the bartender tries to cut him off and he calls him he calls him a fairy fuck um mm-hmm. And then they have the scene in the church where Rocco tries to intimidate the priest and tell him, um, you know, because the Smecker is, who is an atheist, is looking for answers. Yeah, giving to a confession what, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of digs into the whole concept doing. of like, he's like justice and he wants to do good, but his hands are tied. But like he stands behind the saints because they're actually able to put um, action to it. Um, I really enjoyed like the grainy news footage throughout. It actually looked like like real news footage. So um, that was kind of cool. How it was the same reporter throughout and reporting on all these uh, these goings on in Boston? Yeah, no, that's that's super great, and I love that even like updated. It still looks grainy on the news. It looks like it's from nineteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's super great. Oh, that's right. Whenever they get all uh, tore up, they uh, they patch each other up by uh, uh, oh yeah, scalding yeah, each other with the iron to uh, the iron seal it up. Randomly Woo. thrown, randomly thrown in the bag, and they have to heat it on like a gas stove because everybody in the movies always has a gas stove. There's no mm-hmm, lighting cigarettes on gas stoves, and yep. yeah. So, but yeah, they all cauterize the wounds, and Bass then word. they finally they they get in touch with Smecker tell him they're going to hit up Papa Joe's and then they're leaving for New York. And then Papa Joe goes to the, to a Augu- I think his name is Augustus and finds out that they've got El Duce. Like every guns up in the city at a Papa Joe's house where the saints are going. And then 
they catch them coming in through the coming in through the basement and end up uh, shooting and killing Rocco. Unfortunately, uh, Papa Joe pulls out a fucking hand cannon and just blows him away. And he's like, "I'm leaving. You guys handle this." And then the other guys are like, "Yo." What about Il Duce? He still thinks it's on. He's like, motherfucker still thinks it's on, and he's in the bushes. I'm going, you handle it. And so he leaves. And then the next thing you know... Smecker shows up at um, Crossdressing. Crossdressed, said that Joey Bevo sent him over, and the dude's like, oh my God, Joey Bevo is always sending this primo box. So the dude (laughs) invites him in to get laid. He ends up killing the... Uh, Smecker ends up killing the gangster and says that he took it too far, but he puts his wig back on and goes to go out and he sees another gang member with his throat slit. And then Il Duce bashes him in the back of the head with a gun because Il Duce does not kill women or children. And El- Paul Smecker looks like a woman because he's oh. dressed as a woman. Yeah, there you go. And then he goes downstairs into the basement, and the brothers have they have gotten out of their chairs uh, where they've handcuffed. They're bloody as kicked, fuck, too. Yeah, one of them kicked the other one until he like broke or dislocated his thumb and could slide his hand out. And mm-hmm. they're reciting their prayer mm-hmm. over their brother, over over Rocco. And then they pull the guns on Il Duce, and then Il Duce starts reciting the prayer as well. And we learned earlier in the movie, Rocco had asked to learn the prayer and they said, no, that was our father's father's, our father's before us and his father's before him's prayer. We Mm -hmm. can't teach you that. So that then lets you know that Il Duce is the boy's father. Um, so then he finishes the prayer. We cut forward to a scene where they're talking about, are they going to, um, be how far are they going to take it? And then mm-hmm. they're in a courtroom. Yep. Public and execution. We have Codes the, of behavior. You have um, all the news reporters talking, you know, saying this is this so many third trial in like 18 months or something. And everyone's, he'll be the next John Gotti. He'll walk. And then, you know, Smecker is there and they let him in and they come through the back and throw their guns up over the metal detectors. And then they go into the courtroom and grab um, Papa Joe, and El Duce is holding holding the shotgun to him, and while the brothers do their little speech about, um, we don't want your sick or your your poor; it's your corrupt that we want. And um, mm-hmm. you know they list, you know, do not rape, do not murder, do not steal. These are things that any man of any religion can embrace, and. Um, mm-hmm. But if you cross over, you'll see we three, and then we'll send you to whatever god you wish. And then they all put iron to the back of his head. You see Paul, uh, Agent Smecker, looking through the door. You hear the three gunshots. You hear the two silenced pistols, and then the huge shotgun blast. Everyone running out of the out of there, trying to talk to the talk to the media, and then you get actually what might be one of the best scenes in the whole movie the man on the street segment it's the man on the street during the credits where they're interviewing everybody about the boondock saints yeah, and about the being me, vigilantes is it justice it, and so forth yeah, it stuff. reminds me of what like a twitter fight would like how big a twitter fight this would be i'm sorry an x fight but twitter <laughs> in like today's world 
mm-hmm. um, over over this because you've got people who are like, you know, you're going to have Batman, Superman, and these saints. And then, you know, like, this isn't justice. They just like killing people. And then they're like, are you losing any sleep? I'm not losing any sleep. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, don't don't say that. Your mom will see you. And then there's the one guy who kind of has an infeminate voice. And he's like, I want to I want to do it, too. I want to get busy. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I want to get busy. But yeah, no, the the whole movie, if you can't tell, I fucking love this movie. And like Justin said at the beginning, I didn't I didn't rewatch this for for this podcast. Like I said, I watched it twice this year. All this is just straight. This is how many times I've watched this movie. Um, I clearly five stars. We'll give it 10 stars. We'll give it 20 <laughs> stars, whatever. It's obviously it's 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 not Casablanca or anything like that, but it is especially from a movie from the nineties. You do, if you, if you've never seen it and you try to look at it through a lens of 2023, mm-hmm. you know, the slurs and that kind of stuff. And like the smoking and that kind of stuff, which is, you know, yeah, it's a gangster it, movie. It's what to, to be expected. Yeah. It's a gangster movie. I mean, but like, I know there are people, you know, who are going to get, you know, Oh, I can't believe they said that, whatever. But yes, it is not, it's not a movie about good people. Even the good people, the vigilantes, I mean, they are killing people like pretty, pretty viciously um but it is it is like a like i said a relic of its time but it's super great it's a lot of fun it's so quotable um it's just got all of these just great moments and this humor like you said just mixed in with all of the violence yeah very entertaining crime drama with uh you know with morals a little humor a lot of badass moments i'd keep that at a four and a half like i really enjoy it but didn't, didn't quite get up to five yet, but um, I, I definitely liked it more the last time I saw it. Um, I don't know. There's some. There's a couple of moments that felt a little disjointed with the transitions, but that's pretty nitpicky. It's a pretty good movie. Good show. So, um, is this one of the movies you said I shared it to you? Was this the one? Did we watch this the day the the day that it snowed sixteen and a half inches of snow? I think we saw Goodfellas and uh, um. And uh, Boondock Saints, I think the same day. I think we did like a double feature. Okay, yeah. So that was the day. Um, so we went to school in Rock Hill, which is uh pretty much the South Carolina side of Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And um, both of us being from a much southern part of the state, Justin even more southern than I. I'm in the northeast corner, and you're kind of you're on the coast, kind of in the middle, I guess. Charleston. Um, Florence. yeah, in Charleston, and um. So 16 and a half inches of snow to us is a lot. Um, oh, yeah. in South it was a blizzard. It was, yeah, it was essentially a blizzard. Like the whole rest of the state was like covered in ice. It was, it was crazy. But I remember us, uh, we were trying to go to a frat party um, to the fraternity that we both ended up joining. Um, mm-hmm. And we tried to dig your car out and we couldn't dig your car out. And then you're like, we'll walk there. And we got like part of the way through like the parking lot. And we're like, we, we can't, we can't walk like the, the snow was coming up to like our knees and shit. We we're gonna have to walk literally from one end of campus to the other end of campus, and then down another road, like off campus to the fraternity house. So, um, to the teak house, as it were. And um, so we decided against that, and we walked up the road. Luckily, they had uh, they do get snow up there, so they had snow plows and stuff. So they snow plowed the road. Like one. We walking, <laughs> yeah, we walked up uh, the cher- Cherry Road to. Um, the Walgreens and you and your flip flops, you were in Birkenstocks with socks on and got wet and you freezing. And, um, I don't know why I remember this, but we got 
guacamole Doritos because I had never had those before. <laughs> and I did not like guacamole, but the guacamole Doritos were fantastic. And then, yeah, and then we, we, we drank, I'm pretty sure we drank some JD and um, watched those movies. And I feel like we played NCAA football too. Probably um, on the GameCube. Yeah. Yeah, on GameCube, you, I had made the Winthrop Eagles and you had made the Mordor Overlords. Overlords, yeah, with the Omega <laughs> symbol. Oh man, it was fucking great times. Great yeah, memory road right there. Times, yes. All right, so what movie are we gonna watch next? What was it you said to me earlier? A yippee kaye motherfucker. Oh, diehard. Greatest, yes, the greatest Christmas movie, as I'm sure it'll be December before we record this. And you literally just watched Home Alone, so I wasn't going to force you to watch that like two weeks after you watched it. Okay, okay. So, I was digging through, you know, what you've seen this year, and I was thinking about Mean Girls, but you know, you saw that not too long ago, but definitely want to stay on theme with our miniseries of movies that we've both enjoyed together. So I'm going to go with Interview with the Vampire. Oh, hell yeah. I have not seen that in a hot minute, but I do love that movie. That movie is uh, has some good shit. You uh, were in Charleston movie. one time, and we, we hooked up, and I uh, was like, yeah, let's watch a movie. Checked out my dad's huge DVD shelf, and we picked off uh, that good um, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and Christian Slater movie, and uh, yeah. Kirsten Dunst it. and... Um, Oh shit! Uh, the Hispanic gentleman whose name I cannot remember. All oh, of Antonio stuff. Banderas. Yeah, Banderas. Yeah, and it's got some it's got, uh, great music. Got some good, good music um, in it as well. So hell yeah, that's a that's a interesting combination. But I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> Die Hard interview with the vampire. Hell all right, yes. if you'd like to, us to uh, answer any questions on the show, just send it to our. Uh, Email address, the average Joe's move clubcast at gmail.com. Or, you know, always um, we talk about Letterbox all the time. Obviously, yep. we're on there. That'll be in the description below. The links there, the links to Twitter, um, where we have a Twitter account for the show, our own personal Twitters, what have you. Um, but yeah, just hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Um, that is a good way to get on the show. We've had. Um, we had a gentleman recommend a movie that ended up on the podcast, ended up making it a three episode movie. And then that's how Ronan got in. And he's been on the main cast. Now he was on the Halloween episode of one right before this one, Mm -hmm. um, episode 65, I believe. And then he's also been on a couple of your podcast, Mm -hmm. um, for, I've always wanted to watch this. And I think just general movie talk. So, um, it's like, that's also how you met Adam, right? Well, we yeah, met Adam on uh, Letterbox, and then uh, yeah. transitioned to doing a few casts with them. Um, recently, did a ca- another cast with the uh, Underdogs. Uh, um... Cinematic Underdogs. Right, right. Yeah, he had a yeah. bunch of uh, his old guests come on and do a uh, a sports um, draft, which that was a lot of fun. Oh, I <laughs> Missed... need to listen to that. I you messaged me about I think that, that draft. I... I think that dropped today. So yeah, check yeah, it out. Yeah, I I just got the notification on Twitter. I think yesterday, but it also reminds me. Um, that I think it was yesterday or I think it was yesterday or it might've been the day before that we actually, the episode that you and I were on for them dropped and it was like a triple dip. We had that our a regular episode podcast and an episode of schlock talk that we dropped 
all on the same day like two years ago so um nice good uh, times so yeah. times be flying they do be flying they do be they do be flying but justin why do we do this show because we love talking about movies good night everybody duval it was a firefly good night everyone Ha, ha, ha.